0: Hello again party people, welcome to episode 19 of my Storytime with Boone podcast, thanks again for joining me. And thanks also to all of you who've been subscribing to my other podcast, Set to Go, which is uh, it's all about new music, unsigned or upcoming music, so thanks uh, for subscribing to that. On this episode of Storytime, I'll tell you about the occasion when I, I fell asleep in a nightclub and ended up missing a very important flight back home. How we ended up purchasing the... 1960s vintage electric organ which changed my life and uh, how I accidentally became a keyboard player as a, as a result. I'll tell you about a beautiful moment at my dad's funeral in 2011 which I'll remember forever and I'll explain to you what made me write the Clint Boone Experience track Climbing Back Inside the Dream back in the uh, 90s. Also I'll give you an update on some uh, recent events in the Boone House including the latest on Project Rabbits and the upcoming artists that you're going to hear at the end of this episode is a brilliant young singer from Manchester called Liam McClure it's a wonderful song I promise you this podcast is brought to you as always with the help of my friends at Distorted Productions thanks again guys Okay, let's do it Story time with Boone. Subscribe now on iTunes. For a couple of years back around the uh, the turn of the millennium, you remember the turn of the millennium, don't you? We all thought the world was going to end. What was it called? The Millennium Bug. Anyway, around that time, I had the pleasure of doing um, a monthly Friday night DJ residency in Barcelona at a club called the Razzmatazz Club, legendary place, massive venue, holds about five thousand people. Uh, it's various rooms, various sort of club night rooms within the building and they also have a, a big venue in there they, so people like Strokes have played there and Stone Rose has played a few years ago and I'd fly out there on a Friday afternoon once a month, get straight to the hotel get my head down for a bit, then get up quick shower, head off to the club and they usually put me on about midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning and this is one of them clubs that just stays open until like 8 or 9 the following day the hotel was right around the corner from the venue so it was nice, it was always a top gig good vibes, good people Good earner (laughs) And I always had to catch the first flight back to Manchester the next morning Because it was the only flight to Manchester each day There were other flights to other parts of Britain But just the one to Manchester And the flight home from Barcelona It used to take off about 8am If I remember correctly Now on one occasion, my monthly trip to Barcelona Coincided with uh, an anniversary of my weekly club night At South Nightclub in Manchester I think it might have been two years since I'd started doing it in fact, we celebrated 15 years last week of uh, me DJing at Southie, I that. We came up with this idea of doing a big Clint Boone DJs in two gigs, two countries, one day. So it's the type of concept to, to give me Manchester night a big push that night. The idea being that I'd start DJing in Spain at 1am Saturday morning, and by 10 o'clock the same night, I'd be starting my set in Manchester. And I even came up with a strap line, just like Phil Collins did for Live Aid, but without the Concord, you yeah, know, <laughs> hashtag Nobbed. Anyway, so things started fine, got to the hotel that day, checked in, had a drink, got some Zs, got my head down, woke up, had a pint, went to the club, started DJing, smashed it for a couple of hours, and got a great reaction from the punters, always dead nice people over there. Loads of people wanted to meet me after the gig and hang out, so I thought I'll, I'll stick around for a bit before I get off, you know, party a bit, but not too much because I need to be on this plane in like two or three hours time. Anyway, one thing led to another, I got totally wasted in this club. Fell asleep, vomiting under some seats in a, a room playing like really weird techno music. The room was completely black. It had no lights in it whatsoever. Man, anyway, that might have been my eyes. My eyes might have packed in or something and I was battered, you know what I mean? But that that would have been around 5 a.m. I nodded off uh, in this room and I was due to get my taxi to the airport at 6.30 a.m. Ready for an 8 a.m. flight and a big day in Manchester, obviously. All the local press had run stories on this, you know, two gigs, two countries, one day. No Concord. <laughs> all, the, all the hookup papers have done stories. And I'm lying fucked and asleep under some buffets in a, a Spanish nightclub, thumb in my mouth, listening to techno, snoring. And uh, someone woke me up just before 6am and they helped me to my feet, helped me get myself together, took me around the corner to the hotel. Promoter's mate carried my records for me, put me in my room, gave me a big envelope full of DJ money <laughs> and got off, left me. And I shouldn't have even laid down on the bed. I should have just had a shower, put my clean clothes on and gone straight to the airport. But no, I had to have a lie down, didn't I? I thought I'd just shut my eyes for a minute. And I missed both my alarms on my Nokia 3210. Woke up still fully dressed, 7.30am this, and shit myself. And I knew there was no way I was going to catch that 8 o'clock plane, but I I just went into this state of panic and I, I grabbed my bag, legged it down to reception, still wearing all the same dirty clothes from sleeping on this floor at the razzmatazz. And I'm like that up to reception, I'm like, taxi, get me a taxi now. Soon as man, I need to get to Manchester Taxi now. I missed my fucking plane. Now. why did you not wake me up I'm like that? You know, completely irrational. Still pissed. And eventually they realised what I wanted. Sorted me a taxi out, packed me off. And I'm just in this taxi trying to persuade the driver to leg it, because I need to get to Great Britain today. And I'd forgotten to charge my phone up as well at the hotel, so I was also stressing about the fact that now my battery was like 18% or something. Now at that time in my life, due to, let's say, anomalies in my financial situation, I didn't have any credit cards, I wasn't allowed any for a little while, that's another story that, don't ask, but I figured when I got to the airport, I'd just go to the first airline ticket desk which had a flight heading to England, and I'd buy a ticket with this big chunk of cash I had in my pocket, you know, for DJing the night before, I just had to get back, I had to get to anywhere in Britain and get a train or a taxi to Manchester ready for this big night, no problem. And I knew that because I'd missed the flight, because of my own stupidity, I wouldn't get a refund, so that was out of the question. Got to the airport, ran into the departure hall, found the flight information board, started them looked, right, there we go, easy jet, flying to Liverpool in 55 minutes. And it said boarding now, gate, whatever. The only other flight that I could have got was flying to London, that evening and there's no way I'd have got to south in time for this uh, big gig in Manchester I had to get on that Liverpool flight at whatever cost right now because the flight was already boarding there was no queue at the the checking desk I thought brilliant ran up dropped my bag on the conveyor belt got my envelope out of my pocket ripped it open (laughs) pulled out a big wad of £20 notes I'd been paid in English because the last previous visits had uh, been paid in Euros and been stung on a, a, a ship exchange rate so I had English money and I thought, oh, English flight, you know, EasyJet. I said to checking girl, uh, right, I need to get to Liverpool on that flight there. Boy, didn't know that one, please. I need to buy a ticket now. And she said, Oh, you need to go over there to the EasyJet ticket desk. And she said, I honestly don't think you're going to make it because it's taking off in like 53 minutes or something. I said, don't worry, really I'll make it. And I ran over to the EasyJet ticket booth, big wad of cash still in me hand like that. And I said, I need to get on that Liverpool flight, please. Yeah, how much is it? She said, Eng- English wouldn't be like counter. to She said, sorry, sir, we don't take cash. I said, you know what? She said, we don't take cash. And I'm thinking, what are you fucking on about? You don't take cash? What what year is this? Have I gone forward in time to the year 3000 or something when people don't use money anymore? She said, we only take credit cards. I said, right, all I've got is a solo card. Do you take solo? And she said, what? She said, solo card? What's a solo card? She's laughing. I said, well, they give them to people who, you know, if you're struggling to get a credit card which I, you know, I couldn't get a credit cards, so they, they give me a solo. I got turned down for Switch as well. remember <laughs> Switch. All I could get was this fucking solo card, right? So I think they used to give them to kids, didn't they? I think they started giving them to kids to get them used to using a debit card. So I'm there, and I'm thinking, well, that's great. I it planes leaving in, like, 40 minutes. I'm stood there, scruffy as fuck, dirty hands, all bedraggled, my was all over the place. And I'm thinking, right, who don't know back home who's got a credit card who I could phone up now so first on my list my old mate Matt Meller. I thought he's what did he'll sort me out phoned him up no answer and then I realised he never answers his phone before 3 in the afternoon anyway so I thought I'm going to have to try something else I thought right Orksy, I'll phone my mate Orksy up so he'd been helping me to get this two gigs two countries one day concept gig up and running been helping me on design the flyers and all that and he was also a tuba kid in the Clint Boone experience remember tuba kid He'd come along to gigs in the early days, do a bit of rhodium with us, occasionally get up and do a little silly dance and that. And then one day, he mentioned in passing that at school, he played the tuba in the school orchestra. So I said, right, so I borrowed a big tuba from my mates at Johnny Rodehouse, the famous Manchester music shop. And then from then on, Auxy would join us on stage, join the Clinton Experience on stage to do a tuba solo. During this song, that we had there. Me, I'm Just a Girl. <laughs> Like and, and while he was doing that, I'd pour a pint of lager down the end of the tube, which was dead funny. Hopefully, he, uh, hopefully nobody from Johnny Roadhouse is listening to this podcast now. Anyway, the flyer design for this two countries thing, it was even based on the Live Aid logo. If you remember that Live Aid's logo, was um, it was like a guitar with its body as the shape of Africa, and then the guitar neck sticking out the top. So our flyer was based on that, that, but with Spain instead of Africa. Yeah, know, it seems a bit insensitive now, I don't look looking back. But anyway, I thought, Oaksie, he'll be able to help me because he can make some calls, you know, if he's not got a credit card, which I don't think he has, he'll be able to phone people. Look, Clint's stuck in Spain, we need to get him back. Come on, let's rescue him, that sort of thing. So I phoned him up, and at the time he was working at Warburton's Bakery in Shaw. So I knew that he'd be up and about this early, and he answered the phone. I said, Oaksie, it's Clint, I'm in the shit, brother. He said, What's up? I said, King fell asleep in the club, didn't I? He says, Where are you now? I says, Spain, I'm in the airport. I miss my plane. He said, Oh you knob. What are you going to do? And I said, Well there's a flight leaving for Liverpool in thirty minutes. It's the only flight leaving Barcelona today that'll get me back in time for South tonight. Do you know anybody that's got a credit card? I says, They don't take cash. I just they started laughing at me when I got my solo card out. He says he says, You didn't get your solo card out, did you? I said, Yeah. He said, They're for kids them. Anyway, so he said, I think my dad might have a credit card. Hang on a minute, I'll go and ask him. So Orksy's dad worked at Warburtons Two, which is handy, and I could hear Orksy walking through this massive bakery bread factory looking for his dad, and you could hear him like, "Have you seen my dad? Have you seen my dad? Have any of you seen my dad?" It <laughs> sounded, sounded like a lost child. And I think thinking, brilliant. Just when I need Orksy's dad more than ever, he sneaks off for a shit or something, and eventually Orksy finds his dad, and I can hear him saying, "Have you got a credit card, dad?" and his dad says yeah of course I've got a credit card why well, he says Clint's stuck in Spain he needs to buy a ticket for a plane to Liverpool he fell asleep in the club he'll pay you back tonight his dad says what a knob Yeah, <laughs> so He gets his dad's credit card gets the flight number off me hangs up so that he could phone EasyJet to try and book me on this flight that was leaving in a matter of minutes and that. And this is before he could book online and all that he had to get on the phone and phone somebody. up so by now I'm back at the check-in desk Waiting for the, for the news, you know, for the phone to ring. I've a 4% battery now. The woman on the desk knows exactly what's going on now. She knows how urgent this is. I've filled her in. She's with me on this one now. I've told her all about the uh, two gigs, two countries, one day thing. She really wants me to get home. She's feeling for me. I can see it in her eyes. Either that or she wants me to just get out of the fucking way so she can finish her shift. So 20 minutes to take off. I'm shitting my keks. Phone goes off. It's Orksy. And he's like Go, 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 go. You're on. You're on. You're on it. Checking girl looks at a screen, yep, thumbs up, smiles at me, conveyor belt switches on, my bag shuffles off, I grab my ticket and leg it like a proper desperate loser through the airport down to gate bloody 48 or whatever it was, and I'm like that, (laughs) running like that, excuse me, can I get past, excuse me, please, sir, like running like that, proper not very cool, you know what I mean, and there's three women in EasyJet uniforms waiting for me at this gate, all totally bemused, right pissed off, they take my ticket, rip a bit off, and I run through the door, down some stairs, out onto the runway, where this plane's waiting there, big easy jet plane, engines going. It's now ten minutes late because of some inconsiderate piss from Manchester. And I'm thinking, this is going to go down right well, this, isn't it, with a plane full of scousers. And I could almost feel them all scowling at me through the windows as I was climbing up the plane steps. <laughs> and this flight attendant shut the door. A split second I walked over the threshold, she's like, shuts the door behind me, like, to prove a point. I knew they'd all been talking about me, and I walked down the centre aisle, sweating my bollocks off, red as anything, nearly crying, partly through relief, but partly through, you know, I was a bit distressed at this point, (laughs) looking for somewhere to sit, No jacket on, no bag, filthy. Someone started slow clapping me, I'm thinking, yeah, go on, fuck off. And so I spotted an empty seat next to a mum and a little girl, and they looked Spanish, and I sat down next to them, next to the child. They both staring at me like incredulous. I had white jeans on, which I had on all night, and they were covered in slime from the nightclub floor where I'd been crawling around in the technorium. I was wearing a black t-shirt with the words chick magnet in big letters on it. My hands were filthy. My hair was all over the place. I had whiskers coming through, not the shape, and I smelled like a swamp. And on top of all that, I was burping a lot. Not had any breakfast. Whenever I burped, it smelled like sick. Whiskey San Miguel and sick. The little girl hastily switched places with the mum because I think she got scared, and then the mother got settled in again next to me, and I turned to her and I started talking, trying to explain to her that you know despite our look, and, and I know you never see dirty people on planes and that, but I'm not going to be any trouble. I'm a reasonable chap. I've got kids of my own. What's she called? And I fell asleep in a night closet a bit, and so I, and I just the more I talked, the more the more weird it all got. So I just ended up. Uh, reading that evacuation procedure card like really intently for a bit and then pretending to be asleep for the rest of the flight and then we landed I got my bags from the luggage carousel headed outside walked past all these people waiting for the loved ones and all that all looking at me because I was this dirty bloke in sunglasses and a chick magnet t-shirt and they're waiting on a grass verge right outside Liverpool Airport was my loyal partner in crime Born on the same day as me, I love you know as well, Oxy, but exactly 20 years later. And he's there in his little Fiat Punto with his big happy moon face. And I thought, Cinderella, you shall go to the ball. <laughs> I was so happy I could have cried, man. I climbed in his car. He says, fucking you know, home, and look at stare stay at you. I said, I don't know, I've had a right night. Get me home. Give me a ticket for an aeroplane Ain't got time to take a fast train Lonely days are gone, I'm a-going home My baby just to wrote me a letter I don't care how much money I gotta spend Got to get back to my baby Lonely days are gone, I'm a-going home My baby just to wrote me a letter People often ask me how I ended up being a keyboard player Like, you know, did I study it as a kid? Did I have piano lessons? Did I come from a musical family? And the answer to all those questions is no. I'm not from a musical family as such, but my parents did love music and our house always had music in it, which was nice. But I never really set out to become a keyboard player. It all happened by accident, really. It just came about after a few years of me collecting any old bits of equipment that generated sounds. After I caught the music-making bugs, so it's from Punk Rock, Punk Rock 76, 77. And after that, that was it. I wanted to make music. So I started gathering all this junk Like old tape recorders, microphones, drum machines, effects pedals, anything that generated a noise or helped to twist a sound into something different. And I even had a couple of uh, 8-track cartridge players. So these were like the predecessor to um, compact cassettes. The ones I had were the ones that you'd see mounted in dashboards of cars. And I had a couple of them from the 1960s, 1970s sort of thing. And the tapes inside these 8-track cartridges but basically a really long loop of tape. And I used to take the tape out, cut it, and stick it back together, make a very short loop to create these strange effects, like just short chunks of sound that just kept going over and over again. stuff like that. It's like 1979, this. I even had a car battery in my bedroom to power up these 8-track cartridges. It stunk as well, battery acid. It smells like the worst farts imaginable, doesn't it? And my dad would come in my room and said, well, so... What's that, buddy, stink? Smells like a pig's arse in here. And I'd be like, oh, I can't smell that. What is it? And, and knowing full well it was this car battery under my bed. Anyway, I started collecting old keyboards and uh, some of the new electronic keyboards that were starting to come onto the market, the more affordable machines. One of them was the Casio VL1 or VL2, it was called. Quite a notable piece of kit, that. Weird little monophonic thing. You can only play one note at once. It sounded caca, actually. It had like a flute sound on it that sounded like... And it had a strings, mm-hmm. organ, mm-hmm. and had a sampler in it that you could just about get a burp into it dead quick if you had like, you know, like a microsecond of memory in it. And it was, just, it was all like 29 quid. The one I got was um, bought it from Macro in uh, Manchester, a big cash and carry. If you want to hear the Casio VL1, there's two records you can hear on Dead Clear. One is Da 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 by that weird uh, German band I think they were a trio and the other one is The Fall uh, The Man Who's Head Expanded you can hear the Casio VL one on both those records and so I said I got it for 29 quid or whatever and one night I lent it to my mate who worked with me in the, the guide mill in Ashton Neil Lewis who's called and he took it home Friday night took it home the night before his brother Ant accidentally burned the house down he came home from the pub Anthony put the chip pan on went into lounge fell asleep next thing firemen everywhere kitchen's gone and Neil brought this melted Casio back into work for me on Monday morning to show me, he's like, Booney, look at this, what our aunt did. <laughs> and uh, still got it. So thankfully, one was injured. Mrs Lewis wasn't that chuffed at the time. And Aunt managed to do exactly the same thing again a few weeks later. It didn't go down that well. Top lad, though, but just don't go back to his on a Saturday night. <laughs> anyway, people said, did you ever have uh, piano lessons? And I did uh, for two weeks in about probably 1979 this old bloke and old and I booked a couple of lessons with him it was proper dreary though it's dull man I tell you and he insisted on me playing shit like um, it's a long way to Tipperary right and she'll be coming round the mountains when she comes and I'm thinking no oh, she fucking won't I never went back after the second visit That was it. I never went back just sacked it and that was the only time anybody's tried to teach him anything on piano one day in 1983 I'm reading the small lads in the back of one of the music papers it was either Sounds or Melody Maker I can't remember which one. And I saw an ad for a a Vox Continental organ. That was a British 1960s thing. 100 quid this lad wanted for it. I thought, that's brilliant. That's the same machine that the Doors used on uh, Light My Fire. Question mark and the Mysterians, uh, 1960s. That was a Vox Continental. So I phoned this bloke up. He was down south. I think he was in Kent. And he said he'd just sold it. And I was a bit bit gutted, really. He said, but I've got something else you might fancy. Another 60s organ. And I said, what is it? He said, it's... um, it's a 1960s thing from Italy. It's called a Farfisa Compact Duo. It's very similar to the Vox, but it's made in Italy. And I said, what's it sound like? And he says, have you heard Pink Floyd? And I'm, yes, of course I've heard Pink Floyd. <laughs> Sorry. He says, first album, Piper at the Gates of Dawn, Pink Floyd, and the single See Emily Play in Arnold Lane. That's what Floyd used. All those sounds on that, the flutes, the oboes, the organ sounds, obviously. It's a Farfisa Compact Duo. And I thought, that sounds good. He told me to look at the uh, the back of the Old Montgomery album. Pink Floyd album on the back cover of *Ummagumma*. Gummer there's a picture of Pink Floyd with all the equipment laid out on a, a big runway in front of one of the tour trucks and there it is right in the middle of the pit. you'll see the Farfisa compact duo organ it was the centre point of Pink Floyd's sound in those first few years and I said to him I'm having it and the machine when it came out it was like the, the synthesiser of its age when it came out in the mid 60s it cost like 350 quid when it was new and at that time you could buy a small tourist house in Oldham for that money. I know a bloke who paid a little bit more than that for a house in in that in Oldham where I lived around that time, mid-60s. And the average price in Britain, in fact, then, 65, I looked this up before, was 3,500, right? That was the average price in Britain where you could get a tourist house in Oldham for 300. And so imagine that, imagine now paying like a tenth of the cost of the average British house for a musical instrument. That's how, how classy this machine was when it came out. That's how revolutionary it was. That's why Pink Floyd had one. I mean, those guys don't dick about, do they? So I sent a mate of mine down in his, his wagon to get it. A bloke called Zenon from Rochdale. He used to do a lot of deliveries for the furniture company that I was a director of. I stuck 100 quid in his hand. I said, right, there's the address. When you've done your London drop tomorrow, go round there, pick that off. I mean, look after it. Drive carefully. And two days later, he pulls up outside the mill, opens the roller shutter on the back of his truck, and there it was strapped to the floor this beautiful 1960s far Fieser organ, pristine condition. And as I wrote in the the Boone Experience track, Presley on Oldham Street, I plugged in the machine and it showed me the world. I mean, it was probably the single most important purchase that I've ever made in my life. And for the next ten years it came with me to every corner of the world, you know what I mean? And I had a second one as well at one point that was, um, was a bit battered, but I used to use it for occasional TV appearances. So one, one time when we did Top of the Pops and we were miming it, 1991 and I took the, the Spur one down and I in all Noel, Noel Gallagher he only forgot to put it back in the van didn't he at the end of the day, we got back to Manchester I'm like where's my organ he said oh, I forgot to put it in, anyway we phoned the bee but no sign of it, it's gone never to be seen again, I always think actually that one day I'll probably see it pop up on an edition of Doctor Who or something, part of the control desk you know in the TARDIS or something, all painted silver little flashing lights all over it, anyway here's one i talking about Noel, in August of 2007 Noel asked if he could borrow me Falfiza for the, the recording of the next Oasis album. So this was going to be the seventh album, uh, Dig Out Your Soul. Actually, the final album, innit, At this moment in time, it was the last album. And i happily obliged. I mean, I love the idea that the same instrument that Noel once spent his time putting up and setting up for me and breaking it down packing it away again. You know, the, the fact that it would now appear on the great man's album. So Noel's road, Jason came and picked it up from our house, drove down south with it to Abbey Road and brought it back a couple of weeks later. And I'd almost forgotten about lending Oasis the organ, and then several months later I got sent a copy of the the first single that was coming from the new album, so it was a track Shock of the Lightning, and I was sent it to play on my show on XFM um, in, in August of 2008, it was when it came out. And when I played it, as soon as I heard it, you could hear the Farfiza from start to finish. It's that that constant, dirty, distorted, overdriven noise that you can hear all the way through. Beautiful thing, beautiful sound. It was the same instrument, funnily enough, that Noel, along with our sound man back in the day, Mark Coyle, they used to use that instrument to get illegal substances across various borders around the world. They didn't tell me at the time, I found out this after the event. They used to unscrew it all and they stash all the drugs in amongst the, the transistors and that, get over the border and then take it all apart, get everything out. And now it's screaming out on this latest Oasis single. something ironically poetic about that. in the, it's the same machine that I use to to write and record in Spiral's uh, standard, like Saturn V, and this is how it feels. Jaw, Sackville, it's my far feeds that, my time machine. Love is a time machine, up on the silver screen, all in good time. Since last time I spoke to you, me and my wife Charlie have relaunched Mrs. Boone's Tea Parties. So every Saturday afternoon we have a little tea party in Manchester. Charlie's serving up these beautiful homemade cakes that she makes. I do a bit of DJing. And people bring the kids along. We all hang out together and uh, enjoying good music and nice cake, obviously. And it's nice to be back in action as well, thanks to those of you that have been uh, along to see us in the last few weeks. And every week we feature some live music. Sometimes one, sometimes two, you know, a live band playing acoustically or a singer-songwriter type. Last week, some friends of ours, the travelling band from Manchester, popped in to play a few songs for us all. And it reminded me of a really funny, but really lovely story that I need to tell you about. In 2008, when I was doing the Drive Time show for XFM, I asked the travelling band if they would like to do a, a mellow cover version anything of their choice, something that I could play on my show, and it was for a feature called Road Rage Remedy, which is where I play something a bit gentle to calm the uh, the region's drivers down during the rush hour, you know, during the drive home and that, and they came up with this exquisite version of the Stone Roses Waterfall, and subsequently they performed it at a couple of Mrs. Boone's tea parties, you know, back in the day, they played the song both times, and there's actually a really beautiful version of it So well. if you go on YouTube, travelling band, Waterfall, check it out, it's gorgeous. Now in 2011, when my dad, Cyril, passed away, we asked the travelling band if they'd perform their version of Waterfall at his funeral as part of the service, and they said they'd love to. On the day of his funeral, the cortege, made its way through the, the town where my dad had been born and spent his entire life, a little town called Shore, just outside Oldham. And then we drove on through Oldham and down to Falesworth, which is where the crematorium was, where we were having the service. And when we arrived, my dad, everybody filed into the chapel, like they do. And the travelling band hadn't arrived yet. So we decided to wait outside uh, with my dad till they got here. Let them get into the room and then we could get started and that. I thought, we've got a few minutes, we can wait here. We didn't want to start the service until we knew that they they were with us. You know what I mean? It's quite a special thing they are about to do. And I got a text from them saying, we're just a mile away. We got caught in traffic. So I'm thinking, that's good. I thought, there'll only be a few minutes now. We're all stood there, like that, outside chapel. My dad in his box and that. We're all stood there, nodding at each other. Right, mum. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I love you. And suddenly, you could hear this noise, right? Like a really knackered old diesel engine. A couple of streets away, it sounded like like backfiring, and you could hear it racing through the streets. And then it appeared, right, just through the gates. This old British gas band that the travelling band owned, still with its flashing light on top of it, bouncing its way through the cemetery, probably faster than any vehicle had ever travelled on this sacred ground. And it looked like it didn't have much life in it. I'm thinking it's probably done about two or 300,000 miles, this thing, I thought, at the time. Anyway, they parked up as close as they could behind a line of parked cars, probably about 80 yards away from us. All doors open, all this smoke came out. <laughs> and they're all there running down. Longer beards, ripped jeans, cardigans, double bass, banjo, old guitar, all smiling, running towards us, like, where are you, Clint, where are you, lad? All ready to play some music for me, Dad. It looked like a scene out of um, Only Fools and Horses or last of the summer wine, it looked like that. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my, my days alive, I'll never forget that. The boys running towards us like my dad in his box there. I knew that my dad, if he'd have been stood next to us there, he'd have been pissing himself at this, he would have loved it. This bunch of troubadours, truly lovely human beings that are in along to sing for, for the mates dad. And once they were all in place at the back of the chapel, we got started, we carried Cyril down the aisle, started the service. And then when the moment came, the priest gave the cue and the band walked down the aisle to the front of the chapel, quickly got into position like that, and performed the most amazing version of one of the most beautiful songs of all time. All of them smiling at me mum as they played. And despite everything that was going on, I think it's fair to say that my mum felt very, very loved at that moment in time. We all did. All the Boone family did. We felt that love. So, to the lads in the travelling band, I said this, you will always be family to us lots. Hands on shifting sand, The scales held in a Right, it's that part of the podcast where I explain to you how I came up with a particular song that I've written uh, in my time as a songwriter. The song I'm going to talk to you about today is a song that I wrote around 1987. Sorry, 1997. And it's called Climbing Back Inside the Dream. And it's another one of my um, Wilderness Years compositions. I'm doing that with my fingers, inverted commas. Wilderness Years compositions. It's one of those songs I wrote when I, I wasn't in a great place career-wise. But usually, and really annoyingly, I was very positive about what lay had. I sometimes piss myself off with my own positivity. Anyway, the common thread running throughout these songs back then was along the lines of, yeah, I'm on my arse now, but I'll be back. So songs like, you can't keep a good man down, and the cool people know who the cool people are, and only one way I can go. Yeah, mate, up, obviously, at that moment in time, because I was on the and fighting bankruptcy. (laughs) So Climbing Back Inside the Dream was another one of those. (laughs) Um, I'll Be Back songs, my Schwarzenegger collection, if you like. Do you ever get that thing, like, where you you wake up from a a really brilliant dream, and then you realise it's a dream, and you try and get back into it? You, You shut your eyes, and you try and get back into the dream, like that, you know, breathing really determined, like that. (laughs) <laughs> that's what I'm talking about climbing back inside the dream we've all done it I'm sure we've all done it and that, this was this song's about me trying to climb back inside that beautiful dream that I'd experienced between the late 80s and mid 90s that indescribable feeling of life in the middle of this wonderful hurricane travelling the world playing music with your mates having money in the bank no real worries or anything now this track eventually came out on the second Clint Boone Experience album which is called Life in Transition it came out in 2000 eventually the first verse opens with this um, usual mantra of the time of mine, you know, sort of, despite all this shit, I mean, I'm feeling good, nothing's gonna, nothing's gonna get in my way, I'm coming back, all that bollocks. And there's a line, it's been too long, which is, um, you know, the Inspirals had split in the spring of 1995. So it's been two or three years since i had done anything publicly. I was doing a, a lot of DJing and some music for television, but generally, I was itching to make some more good records and, and get back on stage. And then in verse two, there's that line where I said, take a look inside my head, and it's all red, 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 red. It's all a bit bizarre, really, that b- verse, isn't it? But I think it's just me speaking quite literally about what the inside of my head probably looks like at the time. Loads of red mush. <laughs> and a little brain. Anyway, from there, it goes into this dream sequence, which I love listening to even now. It's like a nice psychedelic break with uh, sound effects, like clocks ticking, birds twittering and twattering, and a, a drunken man singing his bollocks off him, some weird sort of way one of the things I love most about this track is the way it shows what a fantastic bunch of musicians I got to work with Tony Thompson on drums uh, Richard Stubbs bass backing vocals various other bits and pieces Matt Hayden on guitar brilliant guitarist and uh, backing vocals and Catherine Stubbs sister Stubbs on backing vocals um, and extra keys and occasional trumpet Uh, we had other musicians as well along the way but on this record those are the people that feature on it it's the sound of a bunch of Amazing musicians from up north helping the mate to sort his neck out and get his shit back together. Cold warfare. Climbing back inside of the dream. It's where I'm wanting to be. And it's strange. I took a look inside my head. It's all red, red, red. Towards the end of each episode, I like to talk about stuff to do with um, the Boone family. Stuff that's going on at home and that. So do you remember episode 17, right, when I told you about a friend of ours, Joe Watson, private midwife, and she'd asked if the Boones would like to take a couple of uh, previously loved rabbits into our family. And I asked you I, on the podcast to vote whether or not we should have them and you all voted, yes, yeah, take the rabbits. Anyway, we've got the rabbits, they're very much settled in now, Living the life of Riley They've got a beautiful Hutch in the backyard And a, a little run And they're loving it They're actually In our front room right now Watching the Boom Boys Play the guitars And they're absolutely The most beautiful rabbits I've ever seen in my life They are gorgeous They're like little Disney rabbits Big cuddly Buggers with fat faces And massive ears like that The white one Snowflake She's a female And she's got one ear Which dangles down Lower than the other one one sticks up, one hangs down. She's a bit docile, and she's got these massive red eyes. Reminds me of my mother in law <laughs> Anyway, seriously though, she's right friendly. No issues at all with her. She loves being out. you know, no problem. The other one, the brown one, Caramel, he's a fucking nutter. First time I tried picking him up, he drew blood, right, my wrists, my arms, my fingers. We ran out of plasters on day one of having these rabbits, right? We had to go to Tesco and restock the first aid box. We had to put, buy, buy new plasters. And I've had to go out and get a special coat and um, thick leather gloves just for picking caramel up. The kids think it's hilarious. <laughs> Dad's getting his caramel clothes on. <laughs> You're picking caramel up, Dad. And anyway, so I've cracked it. You know, all you need to, you get your, the technique when you get your protective gear on. You go out to Utsch uh, talk in hushed tones to Caramel gentle tones alright Caramel you alright in there you having a good day pin him down like that grab him with both hands and bring him to your chest at which point he usually submits settles down and he starts enjoying the cuddles he do not mind being held he just hates being picked up Jo says it's an instinct thing she says if, you, if you're a rabbit you associate being picked up with being about to be eaten don't you and I think well you could have told me that a few weeks ago Joe. you know I've had to go and buy a complete protective outfit for when I need to pick bloody caramel up now. Seriously though, they are, they are gorgeous, and caramel, funnily enough, is fast becoming a lot of people's favorite rabbit of all time, probably because he gives me an hard time, and kids are like, ah, which is your favorite, dad? Which is your favorite? And they're all like, caramel's my favorite. Which is your favorite, dad? I like them both equally, like kids. I mentioned earlier in this episode we have also got Mrs Boone's tea party up and running now which has been a really nice thing for the Boone family after a six year break six years or so we started these tea parties in 2006 and things were going great for the first few years we had people like um, Maximo Park came performed The Enemy Reverend of the Makers Franz Ferdinand who did it every weekend in Manchester and it all stopped uh, just over six years ago when Charlie got pregnant with uh, Cassius and as part of this morning sickness that she got she suddenly couldn't stand the smell of bacon, and we knew that we were in trouble one morning when she, she started throwing up in the kitchen. Think while she was knocking up a carrot cake. I'm like, I think we better knock it on the head from it. I managed to do another two or three tea parties after that um, by buying cakes from a local cash and carry, Costco, down near Trafford Centre, and I did it for two weeks on my own, uh, just explaining to people at the tea party, "Look, these are cash and carry cakes, but you know we, we can't. We've got Franz Ferdinand coming in." And after that, we, we took a break. Um, We took a break from the cake. (laughs) And we're back, and it's nice that our boys are old enough now. The little boys are six, nine, and 12. And they come along with us every week, and they enjoy the vibes, they enjoy the cake, they make new friends. And they help us out as well. They're helping us to do everything. It's brilliant. So check out on Facebook if you want Mrs. Boone's cakes and tea parties. You might remember in uh, episode one, back in January, I talked to our, um, our little boy Cassius Rudy Boone, who's now six, He's slept with me and my wife, Charlie, ever since the day he was born. We're big believers in co-sleeping. I think it's a great thing. We've actually started calling him the divider in recent years, because he has this way of, like stealthily slipping in between us without us even noticing the divider. We even came up with the alternative nickname of Johnny, right? because we're pretty convinced that Cassius alone is going to stop us having any more boom babies. Anyway, so I'm pleased to tell you that for the last three weeks or so, Cassius, a.k.a. The Divider, a.k.a. Johnny, has slept every night in his own bed. He's in his own bedroom, completely of his own volition and completely without any issues whatsoever. He just moved out of our room and into his one night, and it's been lovely ever since. And you're not coming back, mate. You're not coming back in. (laughs) He was in there with us this morning. He got up this morning, came and climbed in with us. It's no problem at all, is it? We love co sleeping. It's brilliant. Goodbye, Johnny. Goodbye, Johnny Goodbye, Johnny Johnny I've been turning back every day Johnny Like millions of other people, I was really sad to hear the news that Caroline Hearn had passed away a few days ago. As anybody who knows her work, as a comedian and an actress knows, she was a unique person, a unique entertainer off screen she was a beautiful person I had the pleasure of getting to know her back in the late 80s, early 90s when she was omnipresent on the Manchester comedy scene and the music scene and TV and radio as well she was just part of that circuit, we all knew her and there's one story about Caroline that I want to share with you something that she once said to me, it was off screen and it was while she was out of character and it still makes me piss myself whenever I think about it now we're in the bar at Granada TV Studios in Manchester and it was I think it was early 1996, myself Craig Cash and Caroline having a drink and at that time I was making loads of theme tunes for Granada Television and it's more adult oriented uh, channel, Men and Mortars it was called wasn't it and Caroline asked me while we were having a drink she said I was the theme tune writing going Clint and I said it's going really well I told her I was really enjoying doing a bit of uh, something different since the Inspirals had taken a break. So we'd, we knocked it on the head, the Inspirals had knocked it on the head about a year earlier, you know what I mean? And she asked me how many theme tunes i have done I said, I've done about nine or ten, I think. I'm working on a few more at the moment. I said, uh, I've got loads more that I've written too. I'm, I'm like building up a bit of a stock, so when somebody wants a, a tune, I can say, I've got this one here. I said, to be honest, Caroline, I've got theme tunes coming out my ass, which is a British way of saying I've got quite a lot of something in it. It's a very northern way of saying it, but British general thing, you know got stuff coming out of me and I said I've got theme tunes coming out of me ass, Caroline and as quick as anything she said well to be honest Clint some of those theme tunes that you've done do actually sound like they've come out of your ass." I think that's the one line from Caroline that'll stay with me forever <laughs> Good night, Caroline love we're all going to miss you so what do you say you can give me Right, that's nearly it for this episode. Thanks again for downloading the podcast. Please subscribe if you've not already done so, and then future episodes will just drop into your device, uh, machine, eardrum, whatever, when they go live. The Spotify playlist I put together for each episode of Storytime features full versions of all the songs that you've heard snippets of here, and other songs as well that I might have mentioned in the stories and uh, other music comes to mind when I'm talking to you. Hope you've enjoyed listening again. Uh, Leave some comments on our iTunes page if you get a moment. And thanks, as always, to my friends at Distorted Productions for helping me to get Storytime with Boone out to you. Check out my other podcast, Set to Go. Uh, It's also available as a free download on iTunes if new music is your thing. You'll hear some brilliant new music on there, hopefully for the first time. I always like to finish each episode of Storytime with an unsigned band or an upcoming band or artist. This week it's a young man called Liam McClure from Manchester, he's a Manchester-based singer-songwriter. Uh, the band that Liam's put together, Sam Reed on drums, Rob Palmer on bass and Don Major on guitar. Uh, Stuff so that's influenced Liam. James Taylor, Willie Mason, Bill Withers, Nick Mulvey, Johnny Mitchell, Paolo Nettini. Liam was kind enough to play at one of the Mrs. Boone's tea parties recently and he's a really, really nice young chap and his talent and his charisma completely belie his age he immediately reminded me of a young Elvis Presley not in the way that he moves or anything like that was definitely not trying to be Elvis but just the sound that he makes when he sings my son Oscar who's now 12 said to him Liam was like a male Adele which I thought was nice too anyway I'm sure Liam won't mind those comparisons but do watch out for Liam McClure he is definitely one of the rising stars on the Manchester music scene. I'll leave you this track hunted. It's Liam McClure. I'll speak to you soon. Lots of love to you. Storytime with Boone. Subscribe now on iTunes. Your love keeps chasing me down.